Hello and welcome to Rooftop, the UK's only dedicated roofing podcast, brought to you by NFRC. I'm Phil Campbell. And I'm Pip Applegate. In this podcast, we interview industry figures, thought leaders and technical experts to make sure you are leading in roofing excellence. We will also bring you regular features, which will include things like topical news discussions, technical tips and guidance to help you stay safe on site. We're once again recording from home as we've not yet ventured into the offices, so apologies in advance for any sound issues. Today we're joined by Dusty Gedge. Dusty is a wildlife specialist, bird watcher, cityscape photographer, TV presenter, public speaker, but most importantly, a recognised authority and consultant on green roofs and green infrastructure. He is the co-author of the Small Scale Green Roof Guide that helped lots of small roofs sprout up across the globe on sheds, garages and small buildings, as well as a number of seminal reports on green roofs. He's the current president of the European Federation of Green Roof Associations, Associate Board Member of the Green Roofing Organisation, GROW, and is the expert in residence at the Bartlett School. He's previously been a judge at, for the Green Roof category of the UK Roofing Awards. Um, and ahead of World Green Roof Day on the 6th of June, we wanted to interview Dusty to find out a little bit about the importance of green roofs, how we can encourage more roofs to become green, and even get some tips on what makes a great award-winning entry of the UK Roofing Awards. Dusty, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. So, Dusty, just to start, could you just give a bit of a background about how you got into green roofing and do you have any background in roofing yourself? Well, um, I got involved, um, basically, it was made, probably people will be amused by this. I, I was trained as an actor and a circus performer. I came to London to join a circus and I was oh the main clown. And this is absolutely true. <laughs> And I came and I, I started actually a truant workshop, um, a workshop for truants in Greenwich, teaching them circus skills back in the mid 90s. And the guy who got me funding for that um, was part of a thing in Deptford and they wanted a bird watcher to do an ecological study. And we found this rare bird, which is called the Black Red Star. And they were going to build on all this land. And we went, well, why don't we just shove it on the roof? <laughs> <laughs> a roofer. But in terms of roofing, and I, I, I like this question because Back when I was a teenager, around um, in early 20s, around the, the 1987 hurricane, I was actually doing a lot of tiling. So Felton Batten and tiling. And I loved doing Felton Batten and tiling. So when I do the awards for NFLC, I don't just do the Green Roof Award. I do all, you know, I look at all the awards. Mm -hmm. And I just love looking at the medieval, the ancient tiling. And, and I love the lead work. And, you know, and I, and I just you know, love all that. And um, I'm not an expert on that, but I have actually put a tile down on a baton quite a few times. And Kent peg tiles are something that I know well because I'm from East Kent. Oh. <laughs> Fantastic. It certainly sounds like you've had an interesting career. <laughs> yeah. um, so we all sort of understand that green roofs are great. And then there's obvious topical points that they support our bees. And perhaps you can share with us some lesser known facts maybe as to what else they actually help with. Yeah, well, as I say, you brought up bees. My involvement comes from birds and from wanting to deliver better biodiversity. So a lot of the things that have happened over the 20 years is that, you know, policy and stuff has moved away from you know just a, a simple covering to to more of an ecological landscape but in that ecological landscape we're dealing with a lot of things that are about the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis so one of the big topics at the moment 
is sustainable urban drainage and roofs are resource control. Mm-hmm. And it's where the rain falls. And if you're in a city like Manchester or London, most of the rain falls on roofs. Yeah. And obviously, the waterproofing industry has learned how to manage that and make sure that roofs don't leak. But most of that water goes straight into the, the drainage system. And in, an in and in an intense summer storm, if you've got vegetation and soil up there, it slows the water mm-hmm. going into the stormwater system and potentially can stop local flash floods. And I live in Lewisham. And because of building work and other matters, but nearly 10 times a year, the Lewisham Railway Station is one massive great big puddle. And that is water flowing down all the streets and from all the roofs, causing that minor flooding. So it's an important issue across the world. The other thing is, you know, people like this, but, you know, London in the next 10 years might have temperatures equivalent to Barcelona. London is not designed for Barcelona. So we... (laughs) get these intense summer heat waves which actually cause problems and therefore you know the green roofs as green space can help cool the city down Mm -hmm. and also when we have a heat wave in london you know normally within a week there's something in the evening standard which says you will have to drive 100 miles to buy an air conditioning fan because Mm -hmm. roofs that are not vegetated even with the current uh, regulations for insulation are too hot and people on upper floors of buildings all over cities get hot. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, green roofs are really good at cooling buildings. They help cool buildings. And we've got noise pollution. If you're under an air path, it's very good at taking out that uh, low, low level. They call it low level noise, which is, you know, base noise. Mm-hmm. So you can cut out that noise. And, and particularly in terms of COVID, and it's, I'm quite sort of passionate about this. I'm about to do a video on it for World Green Roof Day. Is a lot of people have been isolated, elderly, people with mental health. And a lot of them in cities live in buildings. And if they had access to green space, yeah, mm-hmm. their lives would be better. And it's, you know, I'm quite moved. I took my mother out for the first time. She's been out for 12 months. And, you know, I was quite moved how, you know, she started to remember things. She's 84. Mm-hmm. She started to remember things. Mm-hmm. And if you've got access to green space in cities, you know, that's a really important thing. And we, we, we don't put a monetary value on that, but it's beyond monetary value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So in terms of people thinking about installing green roofs, whether that's on a commercial property or domestic, what are the cost implications compared to, say, a traditional roof covering? And is it possible to offset some of those costs through energy saving, for example? Well... We do the, the cost-benefit analysis. I've not seen one cost-benefit analysis yet that actually really, you know, to be fair, I'm an enthusiast for green roofs. Manchester's just on one. And I'm going, like, it doesn't really work because it's about a 25-year payback. Mm-hmm. And it's this focus on cost-benefit analysis, which actually we need to change that because cost-benefit analysis is based upon things that don't include biodiversity, mental health, and da, da, da. Yeah, sure. so there is movement in the world to go to a more, you know, how you value ecosystem services. So I'm kind of going to go cost-benefit analysis. Don't really want to talk about it because at the moment the model doesn't really support green roofs in the way it needs to. If you get yeah. one, again, you know, these are figures that I construed with the industry because when I got involved in this. Uh, I was just this geezer on the street in South East London, and I met people like the Bowders and the Alamas and the Sarnafields, and, you know, they went, hey, this guy is going to help us do what we want to do. So I took a lot of these figures from a guy called Peter Allnut, who's now retired and was very, very respected in the industry. And so if you look at a a warm roof, 
a green roof is 100% increasing cost. You know, that, that, that's straight that. So if you've got a, a black or a gray roof, you know, your guys will know what I mean by that. Girls will know what I mean by that. If you've got an inverted roof, it's slightly different because an inverted roof has to be ballasted. And generally, you know, I'm not a, you know, so I'm not an expert on this, but generally, you know, paving slab or the shingle that they use is about 120 kgs per square mm-hmm. meter. Well, if you replace that with a green roof at 120 kgs, the green roof is probably about 17%, 20% more. So it's the inverted roofs where you can go, yeah, actually, it's not punitive in terms of cost. Mm-hmm. But what's happened over the last 20 years, you know, when we started doing all this, you know, it was 20 years ago. You know, cost, 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 you know. And when I eventually wrote the London plan, you know, we had, you know, some great big real estate consultants going on. But a lot of the really good architects said, like, the cost of a green roof in the scale of a development in London, it's nothing. It's nothing. And then, so I I go to people and I would say to members is, let's focus on the benefits Mm. on what it costs. Yeah. You know, whatever benefits suit your members, you know, mental health, you know, stormwater, thermal and biodiversity. And I was thinking about this before we did the podcast, you know, and I'd love to find out. And you can share my email with any roofer who is a bird watcher or a person who's involved in nature. Because I reckon there's 25 percent of people who are in the NFRC who are probably actively involved as a hobby in nature. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm going, wouldn't it be great in their professional life? They might be able to deliver some nature. And it's quite a personal thing for me because I I met some guys down at Reculver in East Kent where I'm from. They were putting some felt on at the coffee visitor centre there. And, and, and I had my binoculars going off. And one of them said, oh, you're a bird watcher. And I said, yeah. He said, so am I. And he's on a roof. <laughs> and I was going like, hey, there are probably a lot of roofers who are bird watchers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We forget, oh, our daily life, you know? Yeah, yeah, actually. And it's, it's nicer to actually integrate to do a lot of your hobbies into what you do as, as in, in your career, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, I don't, um, would, you, would you? If somebody's uh, um, in his hobby, likes to blow things up, I don't think we no. would <laughs> say that's a kind of, yeah, <laughs> a bit of a joke, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, would you say that you're seeing a bigger uptake in green roofs being specified because of the UK carbon budgets and the net zero target? Um, I don't I don't think that's yet driving green roofs. I think in the future it will. I think there's a whole thing that's going to evolve and I'm talking with people about this, you know, uh, you know, it's about you know, embedded carbon, and I'm sure the roofing industry is looking at how their embedded carbon of their waterproofing, and, and everybody's going to be looking at mm. that. And I think that will develop over the next five to six years about carbon neutrality. I think, you know, a lot of the local councils will setting targets for carbon neutral, and, you know, there's a lot of roofs in local authority ownership, which are renewed every 20 years or every 15 years. And I think that's where green roofs as they progress and become more carbon negative in their um, systems, I think local authorities will really start to look at that and, and actually use green roofs as part of their targets. But I think that's a bit long term. Mm. Yeah, the main maybe. part at the moment will be sustainable urban drainage when the Act of Parliament is finally passed. And also, I'm very keen, in, I've always been very keen. I used to have a lot of people say, oh, you know, lobby government to get a national law. I don't really believe in a national law. 
um, maybe in Scotland and Wales, but not not in England. I think it's better that cities are able to develop policies that meet what the city needs. So in London, we've been London's where most of the green moves go up because we, you know I helped write a policy in 2008. You know, and there's about a 20% annual increase in green moves in London. Um, and I think you know Manchester, Cambridge now on Manchester will look at one, and so will West Midlands in the future. But what will drive that? And it's very important for members of NFRC and Grow is I say to my Grow members said like, you know, your customers are architects and main contractors. But actually, in terms of the green roof industry, the most important people are the planners. Mm-hmm. Because the green roof quality green roof industry wants exactly what the planners want. And then there's all these people in between. And so the ultimate client is the local planning authority. Mm. It's quite a difficult concept to get. So we're trying to encourage local government to become associate members. So Manchester's just become an associate member of Grow because they are the most important people in the green roof industry. If they make good policies and police those policies well, we will get good green roofs. Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, you talk about planning. I mean, would biodiversity net gain be involved with that as well, would you say, in terms of driving green roofs? Well, it's already, in a way, biodiversity net gain is already slightly driving green roofs in the the London boroughs because they've it started out delivering biodiversity so you know a lot of the planning authorities are very very mindful of delivering good ecology the net gain metric um I have to say this and Defra don't like me for saying this but um and I've talked to Defra about this the net gain metric for green roofs is not actually very very good and Certainly in London, as I'm hearing it from the London uh, ecologists at local government, they, they they see it slightly retrospective. But outside of London, in urban areas, I think net gain will start to drive more and more green roofs. Mm-hmm. Now, what those green roofs are is an open question because it actually favours very, very, in a way, it favours very, very lightweight systems, which aren't necessarily up to the growth code. Mm-hmm. So there's some complications there. But um, because the grow code has been updated and our, our minimum system is um, is there, hopefully the local governments will say you must meet grow recommended minimums. And that's the key thing mm. in terms of biodiversity net gain. And I think also, and I don't want to talk about this in detail because it's not my area of expertise, but <laughs> lots of people in, in members of NFRC who probably sit on these boards, I'm thinking Nigel Blacklock and Mark Harris, you know, fire is going to come into this and yeah. fire testing of systems will start to drive better green roofs too because there have to be pretty, pretty good systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think fire, fire will make a very, very big thing on the industry for the, for everybody in roofing, you know. Yeah. You mentioned, obviously, sort of, the, you know, cities being in a particular area that you, you see sort of a large percentage of growth annually for green roofs but does does size really make a difference we I sort of I saw an article a little while ago about the Dutch in Utrecht um, making a huge investment into their small bus stops you know that've got you know a couple of square meters of a roof only but investing I don't know 300 of them to having green roofs installed and they and they kind of talked about them being as this gift to honeybees and I thought you know it does size make a difference? Is it something that actually doesn't make a difference what sort of uh, rooftop you're talking about? Well, in the grand scale of things, the more green roofs you have, 
And the bigger more green moves you have is going to be better from a, a city's perspective in terms of climate crisis. But from a biodiversity crisis, you know, if you've got lots of 10 square meter green roofs or five square meter green roofs in your neighborhood, you know, I can't, there's a there's a place down in Greenwich called the Ashburnham Triangle. And I just walked around and looked at all the litter bin sheds, you know, and I and I did a sort of, you know, on the back of a fag packet sort of thing. I went, well, every garden, there's there's 130 gardens and there's 135 square meters, five times 130. That's that's actually a small nature reserve in London. Yeah, if you think yeah. about it like that. And so, yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, on the bus stop thing, what we have to be very careful about because, you know, and I, again, I have to be so cautious, you know, they're quite lightweight systems they put up in Utrecht and they will, mm-hmm. whatever they say, they will be seriously irrigating those if they're in a heat wave. Yeah. So just to celebrate one of our members, Bridgman and Bridgman, you know, Milton Keynes are going to green up all the Milton Keynes bus shelters and he's just done one. And Milton Keynes bus shelters are very unique and they're structurally quite strong compared to the average Decal bus stop. And there's a lot of brick bus stops in Wales now, down in South Wales that people have highlighted to me, which could have green roofs. So, you know, let's get, Let's get good bus stops put up. Yeah. I'm funny talking to, you know, a guy from Transport for London yesterday. And this is really interesting. Um, and where this goes, I don't know. But they, CFL, are looking at um, charging stations for electric cars. And they're going to have solar panels on them. But, you know, they could have solar panels mm-hmm. and green roofs. So, you know, this yeah. this is a new, new process. And I'm not holding TFL to anything, but it was just interesting. It just came up in conversation. He mentioned, well, we could maybe look at green roofs on charging stations. So all these little small units mm-hmm. do add yeah. up, you know. And if you're on a bus, a double-decker bus going down, you know, the Strand, and you can look at all this wildlife happening along the Strand or, you know, Oxford Street or, you know, wherever in, in the country, makes your life a little bit better, doesn't it? Great, you know? yeah. Hmm. <laughs> okay so so very soon will be world green roof day um so this is a relatively new thing isn't it in the uk could you tell us a little bit more about the day and how it evolved since the first one was held well um it's a relatively new thing in the world you know, because <laughs> we, uh, again chris always says chris bridgman always says that i'm a co-founder it was his idea you know I, i've had a lot of ideas and i'm credited with all i i wasn't credit i don't can't credit myself with world green move day but it started about a year and a half ago before covid it was partly it was an idea to celebrate uh, roofs around the world but also we were about to turn grow into a, a legal trade body so it kind of was a way for us to push the new trade body and because I'm president president of the European Federation, I get all my national associations across Europe doing it. And I've got people in Australia doing it. And the idea is just a day, really, it is a day for people to share their green roof story, wherever they are in the world. And um, uh, but, you know, I I tend to as the face, you know, because because me being an actor and a performer, I'm quite good at just you know being in front of the camera. I do a lot of videos over the the month preceding so there's already a load on linkedin and twitter and we're we're trying to get other companies i was somebody's going to do a video in vancouver of the vancouver convention center somebody emailed me this morning and so there will be people all around the world we had a lot of people from latin america mexico and south america doing it but from a uk perspective it's, it's a real chance for people like me who are not in the industry in a sense 
but people in the industry to celebrate what they do. And what I've said to companies is like the Wall Barnes and Alamask have just emailed me is, you know, less about Alamask, more about why. And it's a chance for the industry to say that it can help make a difference. And I'd like to say to your members, you know, roofing is where, where a building starts. The climate crisis starts at a roof in a city. And the, the roofing industry, whether it's green roofs or whatever, solar panels, whatever, are a very, very important industry in dealing with the climate crisis in, in cities. So get out and celebrate, members, and whatever, you know. <laughs> And and um, where could people that are listening get more information on World Green Roof Day? And and also, I guess, if they wanted to actually create their own green roof, where can we kind of direct them to? Well, we're, I'm doing a bit of a begging bowl here. If anybody's interested in World Green Roof Day, it's uh, worldgreenroofday.com. Uh, a couple of people, companies have come to us, asked if they can use the logo. We said, look, can you donate some money? Because actually, we, we haven't got any money. So if anybody's interested, go. <laughs> Go and send an email and come to me eventually. And um, and if you want to donate some money to help me and Chris and the website run, great. In terms of small scale, you know, I have my guide, which very nicely you mentioned, you know, when I wrote that guide I mean, with my colleague, John Little, who's been building them for years, small ones, it, it it's done really for, you know, somebody you know, in a small town in, you know, wherever in Leicestershire wants it and the contractor says, oh, I don't really know how to do it. So they can go to the guide and they, the contractor can use it. But, you know, if, if you want to do it yourself, that's what the DIY guide is. But if you want to do it and you want to get a commercial roofer, just get the new grow code, make sure they follow the grow code. And the grow code tells you sort of how to do it in terms of what what the recommendations are the actual physical of doing it you know you need you need a roofer and you need a green roofer really and there's lots of companies now springing up who are delivering small green roofs um, in partnership with waterproofers or even doing the waterproofing themselves you know oh, good stuff yeah i have to say because i have to protect like the waterproofing industry and me is the small scale guide does talk about using a butyl liner which is not uh, would not be any BSI codes for, for roofing. But if it's on a shed or something like that, you, you can get away with a butyl liner. But anybody wants to have a go at me about that, they can. But I think, you know, <laughs> I'm logging the tooth about that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Dusty. Um, so looking ahead, we have the UK Roofing Awards on the 5th of November, hopefully in person this time around. And um, the nominations for the awards are now open um, and members can enter a project which they completed between the 1st of January 2020 to the 31st of December 2020. And the deadline for entries is the 31st of July. So members um, should consider uh, entering uh, their, their, any project soon. Um, but Dusty, the question I've got for you, really, as you've been a judge in the past, um, what what tips have you got for people thinking about entering an award, either for the green roof category or, or for that matter, any any of the categories? Well, first of all, as I've already said, I like being a judge and I don't just judge the green roof one. And sometimes I actually have to withdraw from the green roof one because I might have an interest as uh, somebody I know does it. Um, but I think most people in the green roof industry know that I'm, I try to be always very, very detached about how we do things. I will, I will always go, right, first of all, was it complicated to do? So there was one that won the award, I think it's two, three years ago, 2017, you know, it had all these really complicated bumps on it and stuff like that. And you kind of go like, that's, that's, 
there's a whole lot of stuff there. And that's not mm, just the green roof mm. stuff, that's the waterproofing stuff. So, you know, you've got to view the green roof as, as part of the whole roof. Um, I will always go, well, you know, if it's just a pretty conventional kind of green roof, I kind of go, well, you know, there's lots of those. So has it got something special about it? Like, again, the 2017 one, you know, they'd use a special wildflower blanket, and I think they got some plants from that part of Scotland. So there was some some engagement about what the vegetation was, which, you know, to be fair, most roofers don't know a lot about, you know, in terms of roofing vegetation. Um, and very, very rarely, actually, do we get any many intensive green roofs put into the award. The excessive green roofs are kind of the kind of shallow ones, but and generally because they're installed by landscape contractors who are probably barley members. And but the intensive green roofs, especially because of COVID, you know, I know uh, I'm not promoting any companies in particular, but Zinco have done a lot of really good ones recently, um, and obviously they may have done that with Hydrotech or, or Derbygun or whatever waterproofing. But you know, some of those projects I think are really, really important to for the roofing world to celebrate, particularly because of COVID. And if if we get lots of projects which are about people having access to green space at roofing, I, I would be. I would lean to going, well, this is an important area that needs to be awarded because of COVID and green space. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've got a um, tough one to beat for the 2020 awards, which was the the IKEA store in Greenwich. So. Oh, well, I had to withdraw from that one because I'm, I'm on it nearly every other day. I, I wasn't involved commercially, but because I'm on it every day, I was always going to say that's going to win. But I, I, I <laughs> because, you know, I go, I live in... I live in Lewisham, Greenwich. It's, it's yeah. 15 minutes away. And I'm up there and I'm throwing seeds on. I have loads of fun. I do loads of videos here on LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to watch me being daft, go ahead. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, Dusty, was there anything else you wanted to mention before the end of the interview? I know, I know you mentioned Grow a few times. Do you want to talk a little bit about Grow and what you, yeah. what you do in the code? Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, the code, the new code will be launched on World Green Roof Day. It's been launched to our members. Anybody who's involved in green roofs or wants to be involved in green roofs, I would, of course, as a board member, ask them to become members of Grow. Um, obviously, uh, the code being launched, what we're doing is we're having a webinar. Um, and I can't remember the date, but I'm going to pass it on to you. As I say, there will be a webinar. I think it's on the Thursday after June the 6th, where a series of GROW members will start to explain what the code's about, what it's trying to achieve. I will be doing a little talk about policy. Um, and it's, it's a chance for people in the roofing industry to understand the code. But it's also going out to planners, policymakers, architects to, to get people using the code. And I'm sure this case in many, many other parts of the roofing industry. We have a code. We need more people to use the code mm -hmm. and refer to the code, not for a vanity of grow, but for ensuring that we have a really good quality green roof industry in the United Kingdom. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Thank you very much, Dusty. And um, so just as a, as a close, I encourage all members to, to promote World Green Roof Day on the 6th of June. Uh, and also to, to put your entries in for the roofing awards as well before the deadline of 31st of July. Okay, Dusty, thank you very much. Thank you. So that's it for this episode of Rooftop. Thank you to Dusty for being our guest on this show. And we hope that you have enjoyed listening today. Please do share with your friends and colleagues via social media. And we hope that you will tune into the next episode. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. 